Hi there, I'm James Dapache and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Team, today we're going to talk about an agreement reached between S and C. And what happens is that S and C enter into a verbal agreement that says they're going to purchase some contiguous properties, some adjoining properties that are next to each other. They're going to try to sell them for a profit. They're going to share the expenses of doing that. Now, what happens is that the relationship rolls along. One party, let's call that party S, is in charge of getting financing together and buying the properties. And one party, let's call them C, is more in charge of finding a purchaser for the properties. And there are a number of arguments that pop up. And for the moment, I'll remind you that the agreement is a verbal one. Now, S goes about their work and causes the properties to be purchased. And the properties, or most of them, are purchased in the name of a third holding company. And let's bear in mind there that the money does not go into the hands of S, does not go in the, into the hands of C, the property doesn't either, that we've got this third party owning the properties and another third party that is 50% owned by this third party as well. There's some complexity to the transactions. We don't need to dive into them too deeply here. The purchase price uh, is significant and we're gonna to come to the sale price shortly. But what S argues is that there's a sunset date clause in the verbal agreement reached between S and C. And essentially what S says is that if C fails to find a buyer by this sunset date, then S is not gonna to have to account to C at all um, on account of this arrangement. It's not gonna to have to share those profits. In any case, things progress. The third party that owns the property goes ahead and sells the property and the sort of fourth party, as it were, the subsidiary of that third party sells their share as well. Uh, the sale price of all the properties together is a little under $40 million. Once the financiers are paid off, there's a net of around about nine or $10 million that is in the hands of the holding company here. Now, C becomes interested because C says, great, we've made the sale. Just hit me with my half, if you'd be so kind. Now it's sitting there in the holding company. And interestingly enough, C resists, I withdraw that, S resists payment. And S ironically says good luck trying to enforce that agreement because it is only a verbal agreement. Now, as you can imagine, some complexity arises from this. C ends up commencing proceedings. And at first instance, which is to say the first time the matter runs to trial before the court, C enjoys a victory. And the nature of that victory is to say that S is accessorial, or so has accessorial liability for this money paid to the holding company. It also says that there's some partnership between S and a related entity and C and one of its related entities, and these four are sort of in partnership together. Now, what's interesting and what is uh, frustrating to both parties and causes them to appeal is for S, S appeals the finding of accessorial liability. It says that the test that comes from an old case called Barnes and Addy uh, wasn't appropriately engaged with by the first instance judge. The reasons were insufficient and so the first instance judge should be rolled or potentially there should be a new trial on that accessorial liability point. 
What C Cross Appeal is about is to essentially seek clarity on the partnership position, which isn't perfectly clear arising from the first judgment. You'll recall I said there were these four parties, these related entities, that slightly muddied up the position. Now, what uh, when I say partnership, I just need to clarify, I'm not speaking loosely about partnership, people getting along and being in business together. I'm speaking very specifically about a capital P partnership uh, pursuant to the Partnership Act and similar legislation in other jurisdictions will dictate how it works. But I'm talking about the type of partnership where um, the partners owe fiduciary duties to each other and they must account to each other if those duties are breached. And so just to clarify what that first instance judgment meant, it meant that if uh, the S parties uh, fail to account for this money in the holding company, then the S parties, being S and its related entity, um, fail to account to C and their related entity, then that would be a breach of those fiduciary duties and potentially S was uh, accessorially liable. I think that's the right way to put it uh, in respect of those. Now, we march to the Court of Appeal. And what the Court of Appeal does, helpfully, with respect, is straight away knock on the head the partnership issues. The Court of Appeal says, no, no, um, there is no uh, additional party to this partnership. The verbal agreement is a partnership between C and S. That's it. There might be some related companies around, but that's not going to confuse us. And the nature of the arrangement is that the third uh, party here, the third company here that's holding the proceeds of sale, is essentially holding these proceeds on trust for this partnership. And so it will need to account to the partnership. And to the extent that C has not got the money, it's going to need to account to C for that money. What the Court of Appeal also says is that there are scores of times um, after the alleged sunset date where C conducts themselves um, as if there is no sunset date. And there are um, a large number of actions taken by S that are, quote, impossible to reconcile with the idea of a sunset date. And so the court respectfully, quite comfortably, comes to the view that there is no such sunset date clause in the agreement. Now, remember that S appealed on this accessorial liability point. Well, because the court concluded, the Court of Appeal concluded that S and C were in partnership, and so S directly owed partnership duties to C, and those partnership duties included not causing the partnership's money to be held in this company, which S had some control over. And so to comply with the partnership duties, S needs to cause this money to come out. Because the Court of Appeal said S is directly in the gun as a partner, um, the accessorial liability question doesn't really arise. And the Court of Appeal grapples as to whether if it had arisen, there might be a new trial ordered to try to find some facts in relation to this and deals with whether it would be appropriate and reasonable to order that new trial. But because of what's found in relation to the partnership, the court doesn't need to go that far. Now, what is left over is costs. And the court orders that because um, S has enjoyed some limited success um, engaging with the uh, challenges the first instance judge had with accessorial liability, that where S would normally, having lost the appeal, have to pay 100% of the legal costs of C, who's the victor on appeal, uh, S only has to pay 80% of those costs. A little bit complex today. I hope that trip to the Court of Appeal assisted you, and I look forward to joining you again soon for another coffee and another case note. Cheers.